The first chipmunk in March is as sure a token of the spring as the first bluebird or the first robin, and it is quite as welcome. Some genial influence has found him out there in his burrow, deep under the ground, and woke him up and enticed him forth into the light of day. The red squirrel has been more or less active all winter. His track has dotted the surface of every new-fallen snow throughout the season. But the chipmunk retired from view early in December and has passed the rigorous months in his nest beside his hoard of nuts some feet underground and hence, when he emerges in March and is seen upon his little journeys along the fences or perched upon a log or near his hole in the woods, it is another sign that spring is at hand. His store of nuts may or may not be all consumed. It is certain that he is no sluggard to sleep away these first bright warm days. Before the first crocus is out of the ground, you may look for the first chipmunk. When I hear the little downy woodpecker begin his spring drumming, then I know the chipmunk is due. He cannot sleep after that challenge of the woodpecker reaches his ear. The chipmunk is quite a solitary creature. I have never known more than one to occupy the same den. Apparently, no two can agree to live together. What a clean, pert, dapper, nervous little fellow he is. How fast his heart beats as he stands up on the wall by the roadside and with hands spread out upon his breast regards you intently. A movement of your arm and he darts into the wall with a saucy chipper which has the effect of slamming the door behind him. On some still day in autumn, the nutty days, the wood will often be pervaded by an undertone of sound produced by the multitudinous clicking as they sit near their dens. It is one of the characteristic sounds of fall. The chipmunk has many enemies, such as cats, weasels, black snakes, hawks, and owls. One season, one had his den in the side of the bank near my study. As I stood regarding his goings and comings, one October morning, I saw him, when a few yards away from his hole, turn and retreat with all speed. As he darted beneath the sod, a shrike swooped down and hovered a moment in the wing just over the hole where he had disappeared. I doubt if the shrike could have killed him, but it certainly gave him a good fright. It was amusing to watch the chipmunk carry nuts and other food into his den. He had made a well-defined path from his door out to the weeds and dry leaves into the territory where his feeding ground lay. 
the path was a crooked one. It dipped under weeds, under some large, loosely piled stones, under a pile of chestnut posts, and then followed the remains of an old wall. Going and coming, his motions were like clockwork. He always went by spurts and sudden sallies. He was never for one moment off his guard. He would appear at the mouth of his den, look quickly about, take a few leaps to a tussock of grass, pause a breath with one foot raised, slip quickly a few yards over some dry leaves, pause again by a stump beside a path, rush across the path to the pile of loose stones, go under the first and over the second, gain the pile of posts, make his way through that, survey his course a half moment from the other side of it, and then dart on to some other cover, and presently beyond my range, where I think he gathered acorns, as there were no other nut-bearing trees than oaks near. In four or five minutes, I would see him coming back, always keeping rigidly to the course he took going out, pausing at the same spots, darting over and under the same objects, clearing at a bound the same pile of leaves. There was no variation in his manner of proceeding all the time I observed him. He was alert, cautious, and exceedingly methodical. He had found safety in a certain course, and he did not at any time deviate a hair's breadth from it. Something seemed to say to him all the time, Beware, beware. The nervous, impetuous ways of these creatures are no doubt the result of the life of fear which they lead. My chipmunk had no companion. He lived all by himself in true hermit fashion. Provident creature that he is, one would think that he would long ago have discovered that heat and therefore food is economized by two or three nesting together. One day in early spring, a chipmunk that lived near me met with a terrible adventure the memory of which will probably be handed down through many generations of its family. I was sitting in the summer house with my cat upon my knee when the chipmunk came out of its den a few feet away and ran quickly to a pile of chestnut posts about twenty yards from where I sat. My cat saw it and was off my lap upon the floor in an instant. I spoke sharply to my cat when she sat down and folded her paws under her feet and regarded the squirrel, as I thought, with only a dreamy kind of intent. That is not your game, Kitty, I said, so spare yourself any anxiety. Just then I was called to the house where I was detained about five minutes. As I returned, I met my cat coming to the house with a chipmunk in her mouth. She had the air of one who had won a wager. 
she carried the chipmunk by the throat, and its body hung limp from her mouth. I quickly took the squirrel from her and reproved her sharply. It lay in my hand as if dead, though I saw no marks of the cat's teeth upon it. Presently it gasped for its breath, then again and again. I saw that the cat had simply choked it. Quickly the film passed off its eyes, its heart began visibly to beat, and slowly the breathing became regular. I carried it back and laid it down in the door of its den. In a moment it crawled or kicked itself in. In the afternoon, I placed a handful of corn there to express my sympathy and as far as possible make amends for my cat's cruel treatment. Not till four or five days had passed did my little neighbor emerge again from its den and then only for a moment. That terrible black monster with the large green-yellow eyes it might be still lurking near. How the black monster had captured the alert and restless squirrel so quickly, under the circumstances, was a great mystery to me. Was not its eye as sharp as the cat's, and its movements as quick? Yet cats do have the secret of catching squirrels and birds and mice but I have never yet had the luck to see it done. It was not very long before the chipmunk was going to and from her den as usual, though the dread of the black monster seemed ever before her and gave speed and extra alertness to all of her movements. In early summer, four young chipmunks emerged from the den and ran freely about. There was nothing to disturb them, for alas, my beloved kitty had passed away. One summer day, I watched a cat for nearly a half hour trying her arts upon a chipmunk that sat upon a pile of stone. Evidently, her game was to stalk him. She had cleared half the distance, or about twelve feet, that separated the chipmunk from a dense Norway spruce when I chanced to become a spectator of the little drama. There sat the cat crouched low on the grass, her big yellow eyes fixed upon the chipmunk, and there sat the chipmunk at the mouth of his den, motionless, with his eye fixed upon the cat. For a long time neither moved. Will the cat bind him with her fatal spell, I thought? Sometimes her head slowly lowered and her eyes seemed to dilate, and I fancied she was about to spring, but she did not. The distance was too great to be successfully cleared in one bound. Then the squirrel moved nervously, but kept his eye upon the enemy. Then the cat evidently grew tired and relaxed a little and looked behind her. Then she crouched again and riveted her gaze upon the squirrel. But the latter would not be hypnotized. 
It shifted its position a few times and finally quickly entered its den when the cat soon slunk away. In digging his hole, it is evident that the chipmunk carries away the loose soil. Never a grain of it is seen in front of his door. Those pockets of his probably stand him in good steed on such occasions. Only in one instance have I seen a pile of earth before the entrance to a chipmunk's den, and that was where the builder had begun his house late in November and was probably too much hurried to remove this ugly mark from before his door. I used to pass upon his place every morning in my walk, and my eye always fell upon that little pile of red, freshly dug soil. A little later, I used frequently to surprise the little squirrel furnishing his house, carrying in dry leaves of maple and plane tree. He would seize a large leaf and with both hands stuff it into his cheek pockets and then carry it into his den. I saw him on several different days occupied in this way. I trust he had secured his winter stores, though I'm a little doubtful. He was hurriedly making himself a new home, and the cold of December was upon us while he was yet at work. It may be that he had moved the stores from his old quarters, wherever they were, and again it may be that he had been disposed of by some other chipmunk. When nuts or grain are not to be had, these thrifty little creatures will find some substitute to help them over the winter. Two chipmunks near my study were occupied many days in carrying cherry pits, which they gathered beneath a large cherry tree that stood ten or twelve rods away. As my cat, no longer about to bother them, they grew very fearless and used to spin up and down the garden path to and from their source of supplies in a way quite unusual with these timid creatures. After they had got enough cherry pits, they gathered the seed of a sugar maple that stood near. As I have said, I have no evidence that more than one chipmunk occupy the same den. One March morning after a light fall of snow, I saw where one had come up out of his hole, which was in the side of our path to the vineyard, and after a moment's survey of the surroundings, he started off on his travels. I followed the track to see where he had gone. He had passed through my woodpile, then under the beehives, then around the study and under some spruces and along the slope to the hole of a friend of his, about sixty yards from his own. Apparently he had gone in here, and then his friend had come forth with him, for there were two tracks leading from his doorway. I followed them to a third humble entrance, not far off, where the tracks were so numerous that I lost the trail. It was pleasing to see the evidence of their morning sociability written there upon the new snow. One of the enemies of the chipmunk, as I discovered lately, is the weasel. 
I was sitting in the woods one autumn day when I heard a small cry and a rustling amid the branches of a tree a few rods behind me. Looking thither, I saw a chipmunk fall through the air and catch on a limb twenty or more feet from the ground. He appeared to have dropped from near the top of the tree. He secured his hold upon a small branch that had luckily intercepted his fall and sat perfectly still. In a moment more, I saw a weasel, one of the smaller red varieties, come down from the trunk of the tree and begin exploring the branches on the same level with the chipmunk. I saw in a moment what had happened. The weasel had driven the squirrel from his retreat in the rocks and stones beneath and had pressed him so closely that he had taken refuge in the top of a tree. But weasels can climb trees, too. And this one had tracked the frightened chipmunk to the topmost branch, where he had tried to seize him. Then the squirrel had, in horror, let go his hold, screamed, and fallen through the air till he struck the branch as just described. Now his bloodthirsty enemy was looking for him again. Apparently relying entirely upon his sense of smell to guide him to the game. How did the weasel know the squirrel had not fallen clear to the ground? He certainly did know, for when he reached the same tier of branches, he began exploring them. The chipmunk sat transfixed with fear, frozen with terror, not twelve feet away and yet the weasel saw him not. Round and round, up and down, he went on the branches, exploring them over and over. How he hurried, lest the trail get cold. How subtle and cruel and fiendish he looked, his snake-like movements, his tenacity, his speed. He seemed baffled. He knew his game was near, but he could not strike the spot. The branch upon the extreme end of which the squirrel sat ran out and up from the tree seven or eight feet, and then, turning a sharp elbow, swept down and out at right angles with its first course. The weasel would pause each time at this elbow and turn back. It seemed as if he knew that particular branch held his prey, and yet its crookedness each time threw him out. He would not give up, but went over his course again and again. One can fancy the feelings of the chipmunk, sitting there in plain view a few feet away, watching its deadly enemy hunting for the clue, how its little heart must have fairly stood still each time the fatal branch was struck. Probably as a last resort, it would again have let go its hold and fallen to the ground, where it might have eluded its enemy a while longer. In the course of five or six minutes, the weasel gave over the search 
and ran hurriedly down the tree to the ground. The chipmunk remained motionless for a long time. Then he stirred a little as if hope was reviving. Then he looked nervously about him. Then he had recovered himself so far as to change his position. Presently he began to move cautiously along the branch to the bowl of the tree. Then after a few moments' delay, he plucked up courage to descend to the ground, where I hope no weasel has disturbed him since. <laughs>